I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. It's Dean Jackson and Joe Joseph John Polish. That's a fancy moniker right there. Yeah. What do you think of that? So we're not alone tonight. What's that? We're not alone tonight. No, we're never alone. We have that well, invisible voice that's in our head. Oh, that's right. But I mean, no, we actually have like a real guest tonight. An international, yeah, we have a smart dude all the way from Australia. Mystery it's guest, completely different time zone than we're at right now, and his uh, his name's uh, James uh, Shramko. And I'm going yes, to pronounce. Uh, I've known James for I don't know how, how long we've known each other, James, but we've bumped into each other here and there at uh, marketing events and that sort of stuff. And I've I've seen you speak a couple of times, and we've chatted about all kinds of crazy marketing methods and techniques. And you're a super bright guy, and you make. Uh, you know, you make a few million dollars a year, and uh, you, you know what you're doing. So we figured it'd be really good to have, uh, I don't know if we've ever had uh, someone from Australia as a guest um, on I Love Marketing. And when I say a... from Australia, I mean, like, that's actually in Australia as we record this episode. I so understand. The of technology here. Dean, where are you at right now? You're in Toronto? I'm in Toronto. James is in Australia, and I'm in Arizona. James, welcome to I Love Marketing. Thanks for having me, guys. How does it feel to be the first Australian? Ed Dale is going to kill me. You realize that? Well, he was on the Gary Halbert letter, so I think he'll be fine. Okay, good, yeah. (laughs) All right, so James, you basically are pretty much uh, a marketing stud when it comes to uh, a lot of stuff you do on the internet, and you're pretty much an underground marketer. Um, You're not someone that is out doing a lot of speeches and stuff and you have a, you know, you have a big network uh, and connections of uh, some serious uh, multi-million dollar internet entrepreneurs and you've uh, built a really big business over the last few years and you know some pretty, uh, pretty awesome stuff and you're in Sydney right now, correct? Correct. I'm sitting here in, um, on the middle of five acres looking out the window in Sydney and it's during the middle of the day. I imagine it's nighttime where you are. Yes, it is. You're, it's get, James yeah, actually well, calling from the that. future. But now, you have horses and chickens, so can you see them from where you're at right now? Are you looking at a chicken yep, while we're recording this? Not so much a chicken, but definitely horses. They walk past the property as well. My daughter you, has like this little horse club. She's, uh, she has friends come over. They ride. She basically comes home from school every day, hops on the horse, and then rides off. There's a does public she have a just down the road. Does she have a horse called Little Joe? No, no, no. She's got <laughs> no, a horse okay. called Gordy. Oh, and, okay. Uh, and then she got a, a second horse as well. Okay. Wow, that's awesome. Well, good. So let's get some background on you, and then let's uh, let's share with our listeners some really valuable, useful stuff that they can uh, use to you know build and grow their businesses and and that sort of stuff. So before we get into the whole subject of uh, marketing, uh, why don't you give us your definition of who is. Uh, who is James uh, Shranko? And, um, you know, what have you done in the past? And what qualifies you to be, you know, the, the marketing stud that you are today? Well, I think my story might appeal to some of the listeners because I was working in a, a corporate career in Mercedes Benz dealerships. So I had that retail environment and I learned a lot of the core business fundamentals. But at the same time, I had this idea that I wanted to run my own business because a lot of my customers were very wealthy and all of them had their own business. There were very few employees and I dealt with millionaires and billionaires and time and time again, they had their own business. So I knew that I wanted my own business and over time, I think I started about 2005, I started teaching myself internet marketing and combining it with all the things I learned from running a real business, in some cases up to a $100 million a year business. And I blended that with things that I was reading about Jay Abraham and legends like Peter Drucker and some of my influences of my mentors like General Patton and uh, then the Gary Halbert letter and I sort of squished it all together 
and ended up building a business that ended up making more money from my part-time work than I was earning during my day. And that was, that was okay because I was on a good salary. I was on nearly $300,000 a year. And I was able to let go of that job and walk out the door just over four years ago. And in the last four years, I've really concentrated on applying the, the business fundamentals, especially marketing, and building up this multi-million dollar business in a few different areas, but also integrated in a way, I guess a little bit like that um, Parthenon theory that Jay Abraham teaches. Mm -hmm. So you have separate business units that can stand on their own, but also work together to complement each other. Right, right, right. I think well, you know, you're being... James, what, what did you actually learn from the you know car business? Because you were yeah, because I think you're being you were... a little modest about your car experience. Because I remember you telling me you were the number one BMW and Mercedes salesperson in Australia. Yeah, that's true. When I was 23, I got married and when we went on our honeymoon, my wife got sick and uh, anyway, turns out that uh, not long after that, we were going to have a baby. So when I was going to be, I was 24 and had my first kid and I was in a job where I was earning $35,000 a year. And she was on $35,000 a year, but she was now not going to be working. So I did the math right. and I realized we're going from 75000 for two people to 35000 for three. So I went down to the BMW dealer and I just sold myself a job. So it was my first sales job and within 12 months of starting that job, I was the number one BMW salesperson in the whole country. So wow. yeah, I really did apply... Uh, a lot of sales fundamentals in that job that carried me through right through management. Obviously, I got promoted into sales management and I repeatedly won sales manager of the year and then eventually I was in charge of running these dealerships and I became the troubleshooter. I'd, I'd be sent out to fix up broken dealerships and to rebuild their sales team and, uh, and in my last post, I was in charge of the whole thing, everything. And to answer wow. your question, Joe, what did I learn? So much because a motor dealership is very complicated. It, it is wholesale and retail because you have trade customers. You also sell stock, the cars, but you also sell money, the finance, and you sell time in service. So you learn a whole lot about um, you know, different models of how the business works. And you're also dealing in a local area, much like a, a carpet cleaner or a real estate agent, but on, at the same time, you're dealing against six or seven other people with the exact same product or service um, mm -hmm. that is within a 30-minute drive of that customer. And, and then on another level, you're dealing with a multinational brand that has very strict brand guidelines and there's a lot of things where I push the limit. You know, the, the sort of marketing strategies and tactics that you talk about, some of them you can't you just can't do it in a Mercedes dealership without breaking the rules, uh, like mm. sign writing the window, for example. Like they're so strict about where the star must be in relation to the words and the particular color of the, the, the typeface and all of this stuff is so rigid. So that was really an, an experiment for me to, to push the boundaries there with the direct response marketing things I was learning. Did you, did you, you actually to apply? try? Um, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, what, oh, were, yeah. what were you able to I got apply? in trouble many times. But, you know, I took the uh, company website. One, one of my, in my last full-time job, one of my responsibilities was obviously marketing and the part of that was getting the website. And I took that website and I just rang its neck. Like, I really worked closely with the developer and we broke all of the, the guidelines, basically. We had squeeze pages with videos of the most relevant car. So we'd run a pay-per-click ad, landing people, say AMG ad, landing them on an AMG video with a call to action to contact uh, for a test drive today. And um, I remember doing um, marketing campaigns like dealership uh, weekend events we would hit multiple channels. We'd have SMS, direct response mail, telesales from our direct sales team, point of sale, and then email uh, 
email blasts and every one of them had a trackable landing page and a separate redeemable offer so that we could measure which channel was bringing in the sales and we mm. would double or triple or quadruple every other dealer for our weekend sales haul. I think in one weekend we did like $12 million in sales and the wow. next closest was $3.5 million in sales because we were hitting these marketing channels and, and testing and validating stuff. But no, oh, no dealers do this. Not certainly not four or five years ago. It was it was incredibly rare. Yeah, and then so they asked you to come and and turn around other dealerships because of that, like to apply those things on the other dealership, or would they let you do those things there too? The 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 funniest thing of all was I actually prepared a a sixteen page document for head office on how they can fix their website marketing because mm-hmm. they were using very, very expensive contractors who were completely clueless, you know, no idea about keywords or, or page loading or meta descriptions and all the good stuff that search engine optimization experts know about. Mm-hmm. And some girl just put it in the top drawer. I was so pissed off with that. I ended up taking that exact same document. I spoke to two of my... Um, you know, moonlight customers, if you like, ones I'd built websites for. And I said, you know what, I'm going to this full time. Would you like me to look after this for you? And they both said yes. And I quit my job. So I took that exact document that was to help them build their presence. And I used that on two separate clients and they applied it and they got such outstanding results that uh, four, four and a half years later now, they're still clients. And, oh, that's uh, great. And yeah. absolutely crushing it. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I guess that like could that. be said for probably a bazillion different companies. You could probably take that document even today and just show it to how many companies and it would it would probably work, right? But, you know, there's two lessons in that because it, it you look does. at those guys, uh, you know, highly brand oriented, very image um, conscious, which to their credit, a lot of the, you know, the um, reason that Mercedes and BMW are so popular is because of that, that brand image. But there's no reason, you know, James showed that you could take that and still apply direct response, you know, That's to true. get and, three and or four the times most, the results of what you can get otherwise. The most important thing I've learned from it now is, uh, you know, we're very heavily involved with search engine optimization and all of our research lately has been showing us that branding is very important for search results. It's so easy to own your own brand compared to the keyword search for companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've put so much more effort lately into design and that the the brand guidelines, if you like, of my own businesses. And that's how I can take a $500 domain and turn it into a seven-figure-a-year turnover or revenue, I think you call it, mm-hmm. by focusing on making that brand known. And everyone in my industry knows it. And here's here's the cool part. I actually took that document and gave it to my own community. Or my, my I've got an internet marketing community or forum that I built based on things that you taught me, Dean, about recurring income. And I shared that document with them and they go out and sell websites and search engine optimization. And guess who supplies the websites and the search engine optimization now? (laughs) Hundreds of customers. (laughs) Yeah. So that one document that helped me quit my job has turned into millions of dollars and it really was uh, very similar to probably to the the guides that you give out to your carpet cleaners and to real estate agents in that it it takes the customer through to you know showing them how you're going to solve their problems and take away their risk and and get better results than everyone else because you're different so so it would be safe to say that that would be which we've talked about on dozens of uh you know I love marketing episodes that was your sales letter that was your education based marketing tool and that was something that you used to can and clone um in offer while simultaneously teaching people what to do it led them into actually doing business with you at least not who you originally wrote it for but the two clients and now how it's uh you know been leveraged through all of your current members and everything along those lines exactly and it, and it was always based around solving a problem and being 
creating value for the end customer. That's that was the heart of it in the beginning. It was just a genuine like this is how you can fix what's broken document, but it turned out to have high commercial value. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's well. You know, hey, you, let me mention I mean, a couple of things, Dean. I don't know if you you noticed this, but you know, when he talked about the people that he was influenced by, uh, J. Abraham, Peter Drucker, General Patton, Gary Halbert. These are not like you know the latest modern day uh, you know internet marketing gurus. These are you know Peter Drucker <laughs> is you know, yeah one right of the top management you know minds of of you know in all history, and uh, you know J. Abraham and Gary Halbert. I mean, these are old school direct mail, direct response guys. And, well, it was really uh, funny Patton, because, of course, uh, that's a whole. I, I'm just curious to what you learned from him, but you know, I wanted to point that out because you learned your chops from you know people that most newbies in this world of marketing don't even know of. That's right, and I suspect that these people that I learned from. Uh, more often than not, the source of some of the current day uh, famous gurus, etc. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. But I learned, you know, I I was very lucky in the Mercedes environment. I was hanging out with smart people, and uh, one of the ways that I ended up in my last second last post was there was this particular guy who had got a Mercedes Benz smash repairer. And somehow he ended up getting a Mercedes dealership, which is a license to print money. And I actually said to him, can I come around and ask you what you did? And I went around and I spent hours in the boardroom. And he's there with with his feet crossed up on the, the boardroom smoking and just talked to me for hours and hours and hours. And he said, you're here to get the Holy Grail. And I said, yeah. He said, it doesn't exist. (laughs) This guy, I think, was General Patton reincarnated. But actually, he ended up hiring me. He said, you're the only person who's ever asked me. He said, I'm hiring you because you've got integrity, you've got talent, and I want you to come and and fix up my business. And just even if you have to get rid of every single person, start fresh. I mean, that was a patternism right there. This guy was all about a violently executed plan today. You know, he was uh, just just, um, very up the ante – no compromise and you know when i look at your list dean uh you know that really inspired me to create a life with less compromise i can really remember those uh those lessons about compromise mm-hmm. like if, a, the, if you're customer, talking about the uh i know i'm being successful when list exactly it, you know it's right. stuck to my filing cabinet and i'm not a platitudes guy you know i don't have like little hippie things rolling over my screensaver but that thing resonates with me. You know, I look at my watch merely out of curiosity. <laughs> right. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what, 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 what exactly are little hippie things rolling over your screensaver? I mean, <laughs> what, what would be an example? I don't know. Like, I don't know what would be an example? No, some little nice thing that rolls over the, that, that all those nice quotes, all those successories. Yeah, that's all, yeah. It's all cool. You know, not taking away from anyone who's in that or, no, I'm saying that that list of deans really resonated with me because I had I basically was taking years worth of working in a corporate bureaucratic butt covering BS environment, you know, where where people are just sheep and and working as slaves in some uh, industrial age thing and I wanted that I was that free thinking entrepreneur I needed to bust out of that and and that list really helped me with that mm. so yeah this guy taught me a lot about no compromise yeah that's great and it, it is it's 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 a fabulous process uh um that I recommend everybody go you know we, we've actually talked about that too I, can someone do mm-hmm. a search on I love marketing and pull that up Dean which uh what episode we I talked about that we actually win sure yeah yeah, I can't even remember what episode it is, but I know we've talked about that a few times, and mm-hmm. uh, it's been very helpful to me also. Um, well, cool. So what, what else did you learn from General Patton? Well, he was so fast. You know, he didn't mess around. He, he, would, he was basically um, – Well, you shared about um, – Yeah, you shared part of a quote, the, that his famous quote. Can you share the whole quote? 
well, it's, about it's a violent a violent plan. Trump, yeah, a, a good plan violently executed today is better than the perfect plan uh, executed next week or something like right. that. And, and this really addresses perfectionists and people who overthink stuff. And, um, you know, I saw examples of this all the time. People would go, they'd get into their car at the end of the day and they'd sit there for 25 minutes adjusting the radio and the seat and the air conditioning and, and, um, and then drive off. I, I would get in the car, put my seatbelt on, check the mirrors and drive off. And at the first set of lights, I would tune the radio and the second set of lights, I'd adjust the air. I'd be home before half these people left the driveway. So there is a lot to be said for speed of implementation. All right. And I think General Patton had speed of implementation totally nailed. Yeah, I, uh, that's, that's a great point. And speed of implementation with anything is, is critical. I mean, from especially ever. I, I honestly have never met a successful marketer that doesn't have a lot of that or, you know, is not driven by that, which is kind of funny yeah. because your website is superfastbusiness.com. No coincidence. Well, yeah. When, so, you know, when, I, when I chose that for my umbrella company, I, wanted, I knew that you can have good, fast, or cheap, and I'm never going to do cheap. I don't want to be the cheapest. That's a race to the bottom. And uh, my Mercedes-Benz training shows me that people will pay for quality. So... It came down to good or fast, and I figured that most people would, would go for fast mm -hmm. uh, as, as an outcome because, you know, people mightn't think they want to pay for, for good, but they will actually pay for it if they can have it fast. There you go. Uh, by well, the way, episode 22 is the one about success and marketing. That's the one, uh, Joe, we, we talked all about that. We recorded that at, uh, at Dean Graziosi's uh, studio. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. The episode 22. It's one of my most popular Facebook posts when I took a picture of it. It went into meltdown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. All right. So let's see here. Um, out of all the things that I could ask you, I want to I wanna first get your definition of, of marketing. I mean, what does marketing mean to you, James? What is it? To, well, I guess for me, marketing is creating the environment that makes a sale occur. So, leading up to the, that actual transaction. What's a, what, what's the difference between sales and marketing? You know, I have my own shtick that I talk about. What, how would you, you know, having spent so many years selling, uh, you know, an environment with cars to wealthy people, uh, you know, what role does sales play as it relates to, to marketing and vice versa? Well, I think if I start with selling, that might be easier. For me, selling is simply a change in one situation to a better alternative situation. That's it. People don't buy unless they think they'll be better off. Now, I mean, you could trick them, but you shouldn't. The idea is, for you know, working back from that, my entire uh, selling strategy is to create the environment where that customer sees that it's the most obvious thing to do so they make the choice to buy and when you do that, that's when you start to get a lifetime customer and they don't feel dirty about it later and marketing is everything that leads up to that. How do you make them aware that you even exist? How do you bring them to the point where you can create that environment for them to know that they're going to be better off for making that decision to move forward? So that might be um, activating certain channels that lead the customer to your to the point where they can get it. So the sale might, you know, the better you do the marketing function, the least, the less you'll have to work on that sales component. That sounds so really complete. Great, great wisdom there. <laughs> you should. Dean, I you think know, you're about to say something, so you know. I, I, I was. I was saying to that sounds you familiar. As, much as I can during this. Uh, you really do. It's your favorite thing. Go ahead. I like and when begin. Uh, and begin. <laughs> Would you share uh, Dan Sullivan's uh, definition of selling? Yeah, it's uh, getting people intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them, and getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result. Yeah, and that's which is his, just his, uh, James's definition of. A change in one situation to a better situation. I mean, what a great way of looking at it. That's elegant, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's elegant and, I, and, and, and I'll, accurate. I have to tell you, I should I should quote uh, the source for that sort of thinking. It came from Spin Selling by Neil yeah. Rackham. And the important point here is that the reason I was so successful at BMW sales is because the job just prior to that was with a technology company called Vodafone. And they came to Australia in 1993 to set up digital telephones. So we, we had it a long time before America. And when they came, they started from scratch. So they went out and hired the very, very best salespeople they could from companies such as Xerox. And it was these people who had all been trained in spin selling and uh, psychology of selling by Brian Tracy so I ended up in an administration role surrounded by seven or eight salespeople and the top gun sales manager for the whole region from these high-powered sales companies. And they were the ones who taught me these sales things. I'd sit in the meeting and be exposed to this. Like the sales manager would say to the crowd, uh, or who thinks that price is the most important thing in a sale? And one guy would put up his hand a bit sheepishly and he'd say, get out. <laughs> oh, so really? That's amazing. To, yeah, I started to learn that selling is not about price. It's about solving problems. And, and um, it was very hard to sell a digital telephone for $1,700 in 1993. These guys were selling like their quota, I think, was one a week. And uh, it's hard to believe now, of course. But I would actually sell more of these phones from people calling into the office. And I was the administrator. And so I realized I had something and, uh, and luckily I'd been exposed to all these ideas. But that's where, the, the, that's where I got that concept. And I just applied that to selling cars, which was very different to the way most people sell cars. And it worked. That is pretty interesting. Yeah, so yeah, what was your – you must have had a system that you had developed around that if you were uh, using, you know – squeeze pages and you're using videos and you're delivering exactly what people are searching for they search for amg and you land them on an amg page and then what was your um process then for for bringing them in and and converting that well that stuff came later in my career you know when i started selling it was like 1995 so this was mm -hmm. 10 years uh, before I was doing that stuff, my system was very simple. If it logically, if a sale is improving someone's situation, I need to know where they're at right now to start with. So it was about finding out what is their current situation, and that involved asking them questions. I saw it. I actually had a notepad and a pen, and I was laughed at by the other salespeople. And I would, I would basically say, "Look, uh, hi, Dean." Do you mind if I just ask a few questions so that I can help you, you know, with this car situation? And they say, sure. I say, what do you have now? And I ended up having six questions that I needed uh -huh. to ask every single person in order to be able to sell a car. I needed uh -huh. to know who's the car for. I need to know uh, how they paid, uh, what do they have now? Like what, and I wanted to know what they'd like to change about what they have now. So that would give me a hint as to how I could improve their situation. I needed to know uh, what finance term they purchased the vehicle on last time. They'd either proudly tell me I paid cash or they'd tell me the term, which helped me estimate how much of a problem we had with the equity or the finance uh, balance. Right. And I needed to know when, when they need this vehicle. And if there's anything special or particular that I should know that affects their ability to make the decision on this, if I could get those things, then I was able to sell a car. And most people just bluff and wing it and just wah-wah or crap on about the product or how many valves the engine's got. The customer doesn't care about that. They just care about fixing their problem, their car problem. And that system was eventually put into what I called a write-up sheet. So I had this piece of um, blue paper and it was blue because uh, originally I'd write it on a quote book. I made the biggest rookie mistakes ever. I'd write this thing out and in the end they'd say, could I have a copy of that? And I'd tear out the top copy and give it to them and they'd grab it, walk down to the next dealership and make a purchase and I'd lose every single sale. So oh, then I ended goodness. up putting it on blue paper and they'd say, could I have a copy of that? And I'd say, oh, well, you know what? If I photocopy, this is just going to go black. 
So um, this is just for my notes so that when we speak next time, I'll be able to know where we're up to. And, and that fixed the system. Oh, good for you. So because the blue wouldn't photocopy, right? Perfect. It doesn't photocopy. Same with purple. And the other thing is uh, I used to send them a handwritten follow-up after they'd leave mm-hmm. the dealership. And no, no one does that to this day. Nobody does it. It's the easiest thing to do in the world. You know, it's kind of interesting, James, because it reminds me, you know, a lot of times people are very reluctant to ask questions like that in a um, selling situation. And, you know, it's so, it's so powerful to really be comfortable um, engaging like that and not worrying about it. You know, like I think if people looked at um, the interactions they're having and if your guiding mindset is that you're going to treat everybody like they're a five-star prospect until they prove that they aren't versus treating them like they're not a five-star prospect until they prove that they are you know a lot of times people are um reluctant to kind of they don't want to shy somebody uh push somebody away or or come off as too pushy or you know something like that but really those questions that you're asking a real five-star prospect is going to be somebody who has answers to those right and people who do have a problem that they want to upgrade are going to be happy that you've taken the time to ask them those questions because they're going to feel heard if, if I go to the doctor and he's not asking me questions, then I'd be really worried about what he's prescribing. And <laughs> Agreed, yeah. The, you know, and the patient doesn't know medically what's wrong with them. They might think they do. You know, they might say, yeah. oh, I ate something and I've got, I'm sick. He might say, no, you've got some, you know, you've got a, uh, you got cancer or something. You don't know. They do tests. They don't, they don't take the customer's word for it. And that's what I found mm-hmm. with cars. A lot of customers think they know what their problem is, but quite often it's not. And you do need to go through that education process. And the best way to do that is to ask questions and don't make assumptions. Just start with a clean slate. And I would actually frame it literally with the words, so that we only spend time today on things that are important to you, do you mind if I ask you a few questions and take a few notes? I mean, who could deny that? It's like (laughs) the very interesting thing is that that ties in, uh, you know, I should mention what, what five-star prospects are. We've talked about it before, but in, and this applies really to any, any business, but I developed it for real estate that, you know, a five-star prospect is somebody who's willing to engage in a dialogue. They're friendly and cooperative when you talk with them, they know what they want and they're willing to share their plan they're going to be doing something in the next whatever an acceptable time frame is for whatever the cycle is for your particular business. And number five, they'd like you to help them. I mean, if somebody meets all five of those things, and I know that when you're asking those questions, you are writing down the answers, but in your mind, those are click, click, click. You're clicking into exactly what you're going to highlight, how you're going to have that, the rest of that conversation. And you know, what's important to them. And probably even without, um, specifically knowing that you were looking for five-star prospects, if you hear those ones that we just mentioned, that's, that answers all of those questions for you, you know? Yeah, and I think I learned a valuable technique for maybe the one-star prospect. <laughs> from, What's that? Well, I sat next to a guy that he was an Egyptian guy and and um, he had this fantastic technique of opening up someone that was unwilling to share their plan. He would uh, fold his arms in front of in front of his face, put a little gentle hand gesture, tilt his head a bit and smile and he'd just softly say level with me (laughs) just level with me where are you really at you know and he'd just draw them out and they'd say well you know okay i've got three quotes and i'm just want to know which one's going to be the cheapest you know so he would just get them to reveal their hand with this very subtle gentle you know just level with me technique well there you go you're gonna have to um you have a mac right and you have iMovie 
You're going to have to demonstrate. Yeah, it's all Max. It's the all Max show here. You're going to have to uh, shoot a little video of that. Yeah. So we can, so we can see the technique. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll put it up. Yeah, the 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 James uh, just level with me technique. Just level with me. That's all we need you to say. We don't know, no introduction to the concept or know anything. I want you to just look in the camera, do that move that you're talking about and say it just like he would say it. And we'll put that right up underneath this episode. Great. (laughs) So I have, I've actually got, I've managed to incorporate a lot of the same things now into my current business. Uh, For example, the six seed questions, I, I work out what do we need to know to be able to solve someone's problem. And then we put it into our on page material and what I've what I've had real success with, especially with my SEO business, is selling services as packages. So taking time, it's, we're effectively selling time because we have a team and we actually do services, but we've bundled them into packages and and we sell them as packages. So we list what's in the package, what problem it solves, and how much it costs, and they order. So we actually get paid in advance, but. We've also been able to address the main things that someone would need to have addressed just in the way that it's laid out. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. And, you know, I mean, that having things packaged really makes people feel comfortable. It feels like you've got the solution for them, you know? And it's, and it's consistent. And you really helped me with something, Dean. Last time I saw you, I asked you one question. I was struggling with uh, you know, the, the phone call number on the site or not or the support desk and, and uh, I asked you the question and you said to me, what result do you want? That was such a great answer because it empowered me to be able to answer a lot more of my own questions around that and we, we came up with a good solution that's worked really well for us and made our business infinitely scalable. Um, since I saw you, we've actually grown that business when was your event? September? Our event was, yeah, September then. in Phoenix, right? Yeah. So uh, we actually went for – I had a little team of two and in that month we did $7,000 in sales and in uh, six months after that in March we did $78,000 in sales from that one website uh, just oh, by applying awesome. that what result do we want. So that, that's a huge increase. And that little team of two is now a team of 38 Wow, that's pretty fast growth. That's good. Super fast business, dude. What do you expect? That's super fast business. It It says it right in the title. That's great. (laughs) So how big is your team now, uh, James? 70. 70 people. So that's it. Uh, Six months ago, we had 25. So we've had massive growth. Our business, it's really weird, but we've got the, got the, the website working so well we don't do any advertising we don't have affiliates um, aside from our own house list and the cross promotion and me putting out content we don't have to go and buy banners or direct response or put yellow pages or anything our biggest uh the biggest focus for us is working on capacity to deliver that's the you know we hired five people yesterday so we are we're scaling as fast as we can uh, without breaking anything, with proper training and induction and recruiting. You know, we take 15 candidates and reduce it down to five and who we hire, and then they go into a systemized training. But our biggest problem now is that the marketing has been uh, too effective around serving that customer so well that it's, it's sort of led us to a point, well, what do we do? We can't turn the thing off. We just gotta, we've just got to keep scaling and we don't work off revenue. We work off a number, which is days to deliver the result. And if that blows out, we need to hire people. And as it shrinks, then that, that means we're getting to the right number of people. But so far, it just keeps growing. It's a monster. Well, explain what it is you guys are actually selling for the listeners. Well, for that particular part of the business, that is search engine optimization. So if someone comes along to our website they buy a package and our team go and uh, create content and it could be in the form of articles, press releases, custom videos and then they go and put those articles and press releases and videos out on the internet in highly targeted 
relevant category-related places pointing back to the customer's site. And in some cases, we even make infographics that we put on the customer's site as the bait or the target destination. And mm -hmm. this draws the attention of Google, and Google gives them a higher ranking than their competitors. And for some of our customers who might be in e-commerce or a real estate agent, uh, you know, services like the carpet cleaners, they're, they're just basically getting all of this traffic from Google that they were missing out on before. So it's a long-lasting return on investment as opposed to just buying a banner ad, which you get that one-time hit and then it stops. Mm-hmm. That's so what are, what are some recommendations for, um, you know, our, you, you listen, I love marketing, so you're pretty familiar with what it is we, uh, we do and how we do it. What do you think would be some of the things that uh, you could advise uh, the small business owners out there on um, just how to be better at what it is they're doing? Like what are, what are some core ideas and fundamentals that would you think be most useful for our listeners? Okay, the, the first one is, Absolutely focus on the customer you already have before you start thinking about going and getting more customers because more than likely your current customer base or your past customer base who you haven't been reactivating properly will feed you without even having to get a new customer. I've built a multi-million dollar business off a database of around 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. I can make $100 per person on my database uh, per year. And so just focus with what you got. I like the lifetime recurring income model. So that's the second thing. Find any way you can have recurring purchase options for your customers. What can they keep buying over and over again? Because you make that sale once. It's so much easier to have them on subscription. So everywhere in my business is subscription model. And mm -hmm. I have to credit Dean with really helping me with that concept in uh, Detroit yeah, we talked the, about the that at key, Jeff's you know, event. I was, right. I, was sent, I was sent to Dean Jackson, Jackson by uh, Brad Fallon. He said, there's only one guy you really need to meet. Forget all the gurus you know about. There's this one guy called Dean Jackson, and he's a master at the recurring model. And you told me to focus on what's going to keep that customer st stuck in the program the next month. And so yes. it's talking about what's coming it's uh adding continuous value and retaining the customer you've got it's absolutely been the key to my business and so that's where i would start you know i'll say something about that because there's so much focus when people are thinking about recurring revenue that the focus is often in selling something on the front end and then setting up some kind of continuity so that they can, you know, ding somebody's credit card for three or four more months after, you know, and, and the focus often is on making it difficult for people to, to leave, you know, they do you hear words like creating pain of disconnect and, and, you know, making it sort of, more difficult to leave. But the reality is if you're really going to focus on recurring revenue and the real value of it is creating lifetime recurring revenue, you can't create that by creating pain of disconnect. What you have to be able to create is you have to create something so great that nobody would want to leave or even dream of leaving. And, you know, it's like, um, I, I was at a uh, mastermind meeting where the focus was on on retention, on on just that retention on uh, on recurring continuity programs, and it was amazing to me that all these things that was exactly what they were focused on: how to make it harder to disconnect, and they weren't really. Um, thinking about what could we do that makes it so no-brainer that they would just want to stay forever. Oftentimes, people focus on um, overselling what they're going to get, but often it's not even a matter of you don't probably have to deliver as much as you think you have to deliver in bulk kind of thing. People think about, you know, adding all these things, you get this and you get this and you get this. And I said to them, I said, listen, I'm going to explain the the best 
continuity program that you could imagine. If I said to you, James, I'd like to invite you into our, our membership program, and here's how it works. Um, on the first of the month, we, we're going to charge your credit card $1,000, and then on the second of the month, we're going to deposit $2,000 into any bank account that you that you give us. How many months do you think people would stay with a membership program that was based on that? You know, it's so funny you say that, Dean, because I have a mastermind group, a business mastermind, and I took a wildly different approach to everyone else. I know people like the 12-month commitment thing. Right. I have a 30-day commitment, and it is $1,000 a month, and I have 35 people on that, and they just don't leave because it makes me sharp. I have to deliver value every month. Right. And they say, why, why, is there, why is there no minimum commitment? I'm like, because you should only be here as long as I can deliver value. And I absolutely agree with your less is more philosophy because when, when we do an hour call at the very beginning to really set their business up and create an action list, I want to end up with no more than six things on their action list that they work on for the next mm-hmm. six weeks. And then we have a weekly call on a, on a one-to-many call, like uh, seven or eight people, where we um, – find out how they're going with their action implementation and that gets results. My average person is doubling their business uh, within six months. Average. That's fantastic. Yeah. And now why would anybody want to leave that? <laughs> you know, exactly. you, you, it, it's, actually, it's actually a great point, Dean, that, you, you know, I mean, the, the whole method of uh, keeping people in business is like, the, you know, the prison continuity program where, you know, you just can't let Well, them, exactly. You yeah, can't yeah. let them leave. Right. But you know, I said well, that you know, you know the, the was, most was the, the winning um, membership program would be, you know, you give me a thousand dollars on the first, and I'm going to deposit two thousand dollars into your account on the second. Well, you know, what would be even better is, and any but nobody could refuse this. If I said, okay, here's how our membership program works: I'm going to deliver you two thousand dollars on the first. And I'd like you to give me a thousand dollars on the second. How much resistance do you think you'd have for somebody joining that program? It's the same thing, right? But the difference is very, very subtle. You you have to, um, even if you're not going to ultimately be able to offer to get people results in advance. You have to be able to think that way first. You know, the best way to think about, you know, creating your membership program is to start thinking, what would I do if I only got paid if people get results? And that is a clarifying question because often, you know, we, pack up all of these things that you include in a membership program, which are often very fluffy and you're just selling them for, to add weight or bulk to whatever it is that they're, um, that they're getting to distract from the fact that the core of it is really one key thing, you know, and if you just focus on making sure that everybody does that one key thing, that's it, that kind of that thought process is really um, clarifying. You know, it gets you thinking along the right way. Even if you're not going to publicly declare that we get you the results first, it gets you thinking that way. You know, it's a it's one of those provocations that kind of dig down deep and get the. Um, you know, get the best result out of your thinking. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Gary Halbert would say, you know, what would you do if, if you, you know, his big breakthrough came when he said, if I have to get an order from this one guy, I can only send one letter. And if he doesn't buy, I'm going to be beheaded. You know, that kind of a provocation, if you can get yourself even mentally to, to buy into it, is going to really create the best thinking that you can have. That's what I'm trying to say. To making your offers simply simple to understand. Um, One of the reasons our SEO business grew so much is because 
last year, all of our competitors were offering a whole lot of stuff and they were doing a lot of automated things to be able to get that amount of stuff for that cheaper price. Mm -hmm. And they'd hand over details of logins and everywhere they put links. And we took a different approach. We said, we're not going to send you logins of everywhere that we put things. We're not going to send you a list of where we put things. In fact, we're hardly even going to send you a report. And we're only going to do this, this, and this, but we're going to hand create it and hand submit it instead of machine it. And guess what happened? A, a Penguin came out and Panda came out and Google have said, we want quality, we want relevancy. And most of our competitors were wiped out in the last three months. They just don't yeah. exist anymore because their mm -hmm. customers reported them or they, the, all their logins got handed in or the, the mechanized techniques just don't work. And we left, we got left standing because we took a quality approach and a minimal approach. And I think our customers can actually understand what we do. It's very simple to understand a few key inputs, but done well. And that is a form of membership or subscription club because our average customer, you know, gosh, I'd be so disappointed if someone only stayed three or four months. I, I like one, right. two, three, four years. I want forever. I'm pretty fussy, yeah. but I've still got customers who I've been dealing with for seven years. And when I recently pulled my email list from Aweber, which stores everyone by list instead of record, into Office Autopilot, which stores everyone by customer record instead of list, my list actually halved. So on average, every, on average, everyone in my database had at least two products, uh, but it, it, probably more than likely there was quite a lot of newsletter people and then there was a bunch of people that had three, four, five, six products because they stick around. So one of my core philosophies is in, in consist, it's consistent with my sales definition. I've got to make sure that everything I do is helping someone be better off, always be better off, and then they'll stick around. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, you know, you know, that's that, fantastic. Uh, what, what, I, what I want to ask you, James, um, because of the, the limited time, a couple of things I think would be really, really relevant to our, our listeners is, for one, you developed your business uh, while having a job. So let's talk about working on your business part-time while having a full-time job like you did because I think a lot of people – are in that situation that uh, you know have not made the full jump to being an entrepreneur, and I think it'd be useful to hear how you did it. And then, the secondly, you worked with a lot of wealthy uh, people, including some billionaires. And uh, how'd you? Uh, what'd you learn from selling to the uh, to wealthy people? And you know, lessons for our listeners. And let's try to cover those two topics in the next uh, two minutes. I'm kidding. Okay. We have more well, than two minutes. Start. But <laughs> ready? <laughs> Go. Right. Go. All right, super fast. Billionaires and famous <laughs> people, right? Basically, with those people, don't suck up to them or piss them off. They're just normal people, and they get all ex they get a lot of dickheads uh, doing you know doing going to great lengths and to annoy them. I think you have to respect their gatekeepers, especially. If you can get on well with the gatekeeper, then you're going to get through to the end person, and. Be a little bit different and being different might mean just not being overly sucky-uppy or, or weirdo stalker-like because that's what they get all the time. And um, you can also have a joke with them or fun. I think when they realize that you're not trying to take something from them, they open up. So it's more about how you can serve them than what they're going to give for you. And I think people are too quick to put out their hand and leech off someone famous. Just, right. just take it slow. Uh, I guess it's probably similar to dealing with a horse who's like is like ten times more sensitive than a human, and they're a they're a run away from animal, right? If you if you're too in their face, they just want to run away. That's my tips with famous people. Well, I've been trying and to teach that to Dean for the longest time because I you know I introduce him to rich and famous people all the time, and he just has his so his social cues are just really off. <laughs> well you know the other thing is the the very best way to meet them is to be introduced by someone else who they already trust oh yeah totally and that's that's how i meant all of you guys for example no yeah, so, sorry go ahead james ignore, most... ignore whatever he's saying right now it does it doesn't matter what deed is talking about <laughs> 
And the other thing is, I mean, you do, you've got to get out of your office and get on a plane and go, go to events, et cetera. I mean, I've met both of you at events numerous times now. And it's, it just, you know, if you can be in the same place at the same time, it's so much easier to meet someone than if you're not in the same place. I know that's obvious, but you've got to get out and about if you want to meet these people. Yeah, true. Uh, okay. So let's go to the, what do you do if you're working a job, but you suspect you should have your own business? So I basically worked from 9.30 at night till 2, two, two 3 o'clock in the morning for about three years before I was able to quit my job. And it really comes down to that Pareto principle and not being a perfectionist. You've got to be clear about the result you want and just like a, uh, like a w, you know, w. Edwards Deming process, just work out the natural steps to getting it. I realized I had to learn copywriting and I had to put up a website. They were the things that I set as my objectives and it took me a heck of a long time to figure out how to build a website. But in that process of learning how to do a website and improving my sales copy, I somehow became a really good super affiliate for website building software because I built a demo site and I helped other people who had the same problem that I had, which is how to build a website. And I showed them how I was able to overcome that problem. And here's my link to the software and they all clicked on it. And I built that up to $150,000 a year from scratch in the first three years by just sticking to that one core business model and then developing it into the natural evolution of creating a bonus information product that complemented the software. So rather than compete with someone else, I decided to complement and assist my sales with more value and it was a shortcut guide or a cheat sheet on how to get the most from this software with the least amount of effort. And I gave it to people who bought through my link. And that was a really successful combo. So what I'm saying is it's like that um, movie Memento or whatever where you have to write on yourself because you forget every time you wake up what you did last time. By the right. time you interrupt your day, you go off to work, you come back, you're like, where was I again? So that's why I used a whiteboard to write down what I was up to last time and I'd have to get straight back into the zone. For the average person who's still working a job but doesn't want to, you just got to stop watching TV and you have to pull out your whiteboard and write down your start and end goal with steps in between and tick them off and just keep chipping away at it and you got to want it bad because if you don't, it's not going to happen and mm -hmm. I needed it because – at the end of my career, like four years ago, was when the US financial market was starting to fall over with the housing and the bad credit. And I realized I'm the highest paid person in the country in the job in a luxury car market and the whole world's <laughs> about to go into collapse. I, my job days are numbered and it could be any day. And I went to work for the last year wondering if it would be my last day at work. So I wanted it so bad and with four kids – and a mortgage and a share portfolio that was geared, you know, I had no choice and I was just going for it 100%. And in the, in the last parts, I got very little sleep. But now, you know, four years later, no debt, thriving business, passionate joy for business, like I love it. Um, it was all worth it and I would, I'd do it again. I'd do it five times over to get what I've got now. That's that great. is awesome. What a what yeah. a great you know what a great way to end uh, end the interview, especially without Dean saying anything. That'd be the best way to <laughs> to kind of end this thing. But uh, no, no, no. All kidding aside, uh, Dean, what are your thoughts on that? Are you really want me to say something? Yeah, of course. I'm just messing with you. Don't don't try to you know don't don't try to turn me into the insensitive one here. Everyone really yeah. kind of knows. What, what I don't have to turn you into the insensitive what you're one. Made of. You know, when you uh, mentioned that Jay Abraham was one of your influences and, you know, there's a lot of similarities there because Jay said, always says that, you know, what really motivated him was, was having kids and being married at a very young age. He had the, the needs of a 40 year old man when he was 18, 19 years old, you know, so that really does get you motivated when you have that why it makes anything you have to do that much more palatable, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think the whole point of 
you know, really you got to want it badly is, is critical. And that, that's one area where, you know, if, if someone's not hungry, uh, in a lot of ways they are at a disadvantage versus someone, you know, someone that has resources and talent and intelligence and skills and lives in a great place and, you know, isn't in a situation Too comfortable. where they yeah. either are desperate or can, you know, don't manufacture that sort of gun to your head sort of pressure. Like yeah. you were talking about it. I mean, their chance. I wouldn't, you know, I, I'd bet on any young person that doesn't know what the hell they're doing, but has, you know, integrity and has, you know, passion and has desire. I'd, I'd, I'd put my money on that horse any day of the week over, you know, someone that just doesn't have that. And it's, it's really, you know, I don't know if there's an easy way to say, here's how to find it if you don't have it or it's lacking. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, James, you know, if someone really can't find their, you know, to sound cliche, find their passion. Um, you you taught me the technique for that, Joe. We were sitting in, uh, in the middle of Mexico and you talked about waving the magic wand. What, what does it look like? You know, what, What's what's the ideal scenario? So that is a technique that I've used in my mastermind groups and also for myself, taking that sales philosophy. You know, if you start with the current situation, which is where you're at right now, and if you want to be better off, you have to actually figure out what would better off look like. Uh, how do you how do you know when you're successful? And that's where Dean's. Uh, list comes into it, and I, I guess Dan Sullivan's uh, philosophies are, are the same. You know what would what what would be the indicators, and if you're clear on that, you, it's, something should automatically start to occur in your mind, and suddenly you become unhappy with what you've got now, and happier with what you're thinking about, and you move towards it. Uh, and I've had this happens numerous times on my last day of my job. I handed over an AMG, uh, brand new AMG car to a customer and he started it up and it sounded so good. You know, that 6.2 litre V8 coming out of those four exhaust pipes. And I had, I had that instant moment, I want one of these cars. I want one. You know, and three years after I quit my job, I went in to buy a brand new mercedes-benz for my wife and she looked over and saw one and she goes isn't that the one you like and i said yes she goes you should get it and i said done <laughs> so done we, yeah. we laid down ca- cash for two mercedes-benz in my old employer's workplace three years from when i quit my job and that was that was the final tick in the box that was you know i've been thinking about this for so long and I was always on the other side of the desk. And now I'm the business owner paying cash for my Mercedes-Benz and I can tick that box off now. I've completed the cycle. And then I think, what's next? You know, And I've reset my targets now and I know what my future situation will be because I've waved the magic wand and I'm just moving towards it. And it happens fast. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's. Well, awesome. it happens faster when you're clear on it, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> rather than when you're just kind of waffling and and you, you know you heading don't have down to the know road. Every step with precision, but you have to know the direction. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you know, if you're a if yeah. you're if you're a train hurtling down the tracks, but you're heading to the wrong station, it's not going to work out for you. So even if you know the station you want to get to, but you're not sure um, how to get there, as, as long as you know where you're roughly heading. Yeah, you'll find the vehicle to get there. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, you know what, James? Uh, awesome, awesome stuff. Great conversation. Um, and I'd like to – you have uh, three podcasts that uh, you do um, that are, you know, usually a couple of them are in the top ten in Australia on iTunes. Uh, how do people uh, find out more about you and follow any of your stuff? Just go to superfastbusiness.com and that is where – all of my businesses are listed and I have a newsletter. I put out a video every couple of days. I honestly think this is the best way for people to communicate in, in current times, putting out good video content. You're welcome to yeah. join that or subscribe to the podcast that's on that site, superfastbusiness.com. There we go. Awesome. Well, you Where know, what? We that's, that's, all I, that's all I got. I mean, and, and I will say that, Dean, I've tried – several times now to get this interview with James scheduled and you have been dragging your feet and finally 
you got out of bed and decided to get on the phone and report. <laughs> Who said I got out of bed? No one said that. I was just, I was just adding that for, for comment. Yeah, exactly. Who's, <laughs> that's funny. It took my assistant of 17 years, the lovely, wonderful Eunice Miller, to actually even coordinate getting this scheduled. So here we are. We've done it. We've accomplished it. So to all of our I Love Marketing listeners, love to hear your comments on what you thought about this Australian dude, James. And uh, you know he's the yeah. the best uh, the best Australian we've had on on the uh, podcast so far. Yeah. Well, as of right now, at this moment, yeah, that we're the leading it, the number one Australian. The, yeah, yeah. Out of all the Australians we've ever interviewed, this one is certainly the most recent. Also, that's on the true. Nation special. <laughs> no, it was actually it was really good stuff, and I actually thought your story was quite motivational and really yeah. something I think it's good for our listeners to hear because I know everybody, even if they're doing really well or not, uh, you know, just just hearing perspectives of how other people have, you know, used marketing and used what we, why, you know, last thing, why, why do you love marketing? I mean, it's obviously had so much impact on your life. It's had impact on our lives. You know, that's why we share all of this with people. Uh, why do you love marketing? I love it because it is... It's a big game. It's a challenge. It's a, like an unlimited, never-ending game that you, you can keep refining and l- learn. It's one of the few things where you just you have learning outcomes with every single move that you can that you can reapply or refine or get better at. And you don't need someone else to certify you and say, "Well, okay, you have this diploma or you have this certificate or you're credentialized." It is it is a wide open marketplace. And you can compete with the best in the world head on and take them down, you know, with, with a little domain name and a website and, and uh, it's game on. The world is your oyster and the, the rewards are so high compared to selling your time to an employer and, the, you know, all the other options available. It's, it's yeah. given me a life. Yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you. So that's it. Uh, appreciate it, James. Dean, anything else? I think that was fantastic. Thanks for playing. You got it. Thanks, got guys. It. All right. We'll talk soon, James, and uh, all of our listeners. Thank you. Give us your comments, and we will talk to you on the next episode of I Love Marketing. Take care.